Hallelujah. I'd like to direct your attention to the book of Genesis, familiar passage of Scripture here, beginning in chapter 3 and verse 1. Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 1. If you got it, say amen. Trust you brought your Bible with you, but if you didn't, we provide the scriptures over here up on the screens. And let's, let's follow along here. Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Notice, that is not a statement. That is a question. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. It was a direct contradiction to the Word of God, which, of course, in the 21st century is pretty commonplace. But what makes this so important is it was the first. It has primacy as the very first contradiction to the Word of God. In verse number 5, this is the line of reasoning that he uses to Eve, for God doth know that in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be des desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened. For the very first time, there's a brand new level of understanding, comprehension, and a brand new vision. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. I don't want this title to throw you off here this morning, so please just stick with me here a few minutes. Bored with paradise. Bored with paradise. I wonder if we could put our Bibles down and let's lift our voices, open our hearts. Let's pray together. You that are here, even those of you that are visiting, you didn't take the time to climb out of bed on a Sunday morning and get dressed and take time to become groomed to be here today for nothing. We're praying that the Holy Ghost will deposit something in every one of our lives. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We praise you. We worship you. We've come to give you great praise divine recognition. Father, I pray that you're able to communicate to every life in a way that every single human being can comprehend and understand. We ask it in the name 
above every name. And everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. A recent study was done. I don't know who finances these types of research. But somebody recently did a study and discovered that the average American adult suffers 131 days of boredom a year. Boredom is one of the most common human experiences, whether you're in the church, out of the church, yellow, green, black, white, you're all precious in his sight. So put your sign down, why do we fight? Let's recognize that Jesus is the only light. Boredom is something that every single human being is going to have to deal with. And there is a long list of common human experiences, and boredom is one of them. I wish I could report to this audience this morning that boredom is positive. They have also studied and researchers have discovered that people that deal with their boredom are more inclined to give in to drugs and alcohol, various addictions, everything from pornography to illicit relationships, whether married, single, young, old, whoever, wherever. Humanity desires to escape boredom. Now that I have your undivided attention, I can begin to preach. Here in the Garden of Eden, here in Genesis chapter number 3, this is the book of Genesis, it is the book of beginnings, it is the book, it is the chromosome of creation. Adam and Eve, of course, are in the garden. We're not going to take the time to go back and do commentary on all that. We will just start right in here and recognize that you understand that Adam and Eve were the very first human beings. They are in the garden. They have a, they are under a divine directive, a supernatural objective, if you please. And that divine directive is to take dominion over the entire planet. We understand that the Garden of Eden was localized. We, um, biblical archaeologists and biblical historians believe that the Garden of Eden was somewhere between the Tigris and Euphrates River, one of the cradles of civilization and certainly one of the fundamental foundations of much of the beginnings of biblical um, adventures begins between the Tigris and the Euphrates River. But it was localized. And they were placed in this garden. It 
was a place that was voluptuous. It had the multitude and the multiplicity of God's uh, imagination to produce fruit of different colors, different sizes. They were there. It was voluptuous. It was a place that, that, that was filled with the delights of fruitage. The animals had a certain bond with Adam and Eve. It wasn't like today where you have to go out and hunt them or you have to go to a zoo to see them. There was a kinship that existed between Adam and Eve and the animal kingdom, specifically Adam. This is how Adam was able to name the, uh, the animal kingdom with his absolutely unrestricted uh, intellect. He was able to name the animal kingdom. And those names stuck. You see that God enumerates on the clean and the unclean animals even into the book of Leviticus and other places uh, in the Bible. But God uses the names that Adam gave the animals. God did not give those names to the animals. He used the names that Adam gave them. So Adam was already in occupation, that he was already naming the animal kingdom. And it probably even went beyond that, that he was naming various species of trees and the different fruitage and the flora and the fauna of this incredible place that the direct translation means the paradise. It was the paradise of God. And Adam and Eve were there. And Adam, of course, as you know, was not a gardener. He was not there to pull weeds. He was not there to get rid of uh, dangerous elements, moss and mold and and deal with all that. He was there to dress it and to keep it. He was there to pick when ripe. He was there to present once it was picked. He was there to consume and to dress. That was his occupation before God. But make no mistake about it, they were not bound to the garden. There were no walls around the garden. There was not a cage around the garden. They were not restricted to remain in the garden. In fact, the very divine directive that God gave to Adam and Eve would have ensured that they would have moved beyond uh, the perimeter of the garden. And I believe, theologically, that every step that Adam would have taken had he stayed right with God, it would have immediately been converted and immediately been domesticated through the power of the dominion that God gave to Adam and Eve. But we don't see them venturing out into a place of dominion. We don't see them venturing out in, uh, in subduing the earth. Um, they had the power. They had the authority. It was unchecked. It was, it was unchallenged. There was no resistance. There was no reason that they should not have. But we just do not have any record of that. Of course, it's impossible to gauge the time that Adam and Eve were there in the garden. I've heard all kinds of things. I've heard everything from days to weeks. But make no mistake about it, the biblical record does place Adam and Eve in the garden, and they never venture beyond the garden. It was in the garden that we have the very first occasion where the serpent and humanity comes together. And you understand the biblical record here in Genesis chapter number 3. Eve is there, and she is in proximity to the forbidden tree. Make no mistake about it, ladies and gentlemen, there will be a forbidden tree in every person's garden. 
what you have to recognize is, is that when you're living without God, you feel like you have access to everything and anything. But you understand that when you are empowered by God, that you are able to coexist with the forbidden. And that improves, that, that is what produces blessing. It produces integrity. It, bless, it, it produces power with God. The absence of evil is not what produces spiritual people. It was the coexistence with the forbidden that God acknowledges and God rewards. But here we are in proximity to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It is a level of knowledge that is outside of the knowledge of God. It is a form of knowledge and experience that is outside what God had already ordered for their lives. Once again, I know I'm being redundant, but I'm doing this to make a point because we're living in the 21st century where people want all manner of information available to them. They want it at the snap of a finger. They want, it, uh, they, want, they want the Internet to be faster. They want access to websites. They want access to all kinds, of, all kinds of information that really is meaningless and purposeless, but they want it so they can have it. But God requires that people that are going to genuinely be living with dominion and definitely be living with promise have got to coexist with a level of information that is off limits. I'm letting that soak in a little bit. Because you see, in the 21st century, we are not used to limits. We are not used to living by the Word of God that says you can do this, but you cannot do this. 21st century Americans want to do what they want to do where they want to do it. If they don't want to do it, they want the choice to do it. And, and go ahead. I'm not, I'm not challenging that here today. But I want to introduce to you the living God, the only God, the only God that can bless, the only God that we're going to live in eternity with, says you're going to have to live with something that I said don't touch it. You can do anything else you want to. You can take this world over. You can go as far as you want to go, but you have to live within the Word of God. Oh, I thank God for the promises of the Word of God that are yea and amen. I'm not going to focus on the things I can't do. I want to capitalize on the things I can do. Somebody says, I don't want to go to that church because I can't do this, I can't do that, and I'm getting ready to preach on that. I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't do this. If you're talking about fornication, no. You cannot be a fornicator and enter the kingdom of God. If you're talking about adultery, no. You cannot be an adulterer and enter into the kingdom of God. If you want to be anything you want to be, no. You cannot do it your way and enter into the kingdom of God. But if you want to do it God's way, it's a mile wide and it's a mile deep. Oh, I would that somebody would clap your hands and give him praise and give him glory. If you're walking in the privileges of God, I want you to shout with a voice of triumph. So in this conversation, Satan already understands that for him to get his job done, he has to get her to break some rules. And I've seen a lot of bumper stickers that say rules were meant to be broken. Which ones? 
there's a mandate that ever comes down that says you can't get together to praise the Lord, we're going to break it. Because you don't overrule, forsake not the assembling of your... If there's a mandate that says you can't lift up holy hands and praise the name of the Lord, that's one we're going to break. Because the Bible said, I would that men everywhere lifting up holy hands. Come on, men, help the pastor. I'm not trying to be political, and I'm not trying to be contrary, and I'm not trying to make any kind of statement about anything. I'm just telling you that there's a lot of things we can do. We get to pray. We get to worship God. And I thank God, I thank God I'm living in the United States of America, still the greatest nation on earth, where I can lift up holy hands and lift up my voice and I can pray till I'm blue in the face. Why don't we enjoy our privilege here today and magnify the Lord? Some of you that are visiting need to understand, you're not in a church that was born then in the post-Reformation. We go all the way to the beginning where there was a prayer meeting in an upper room. And people shouted, and people gave God praise, and they spoke in other tongues. All right. So the serpent recognizes that I'm going to have to capitalize on something here. I don't know where Adam was. For all I know, he might have been standing right there. Because the Bible said he ate also. And so you understand this communication with the serpent that begins to challenge He didn't challenge the dominion. He didn't challenge the power to subjugate. He didn't challenge that they had this power that would circumvent the meridian of the globe had they obeyed God. He focused on the one thing they were asked not to do. And that is exactly what the devil is still doing in the 21st century. Where God puts a period, the devil wants to put a question mark. And then when it goes up before a debate or a board or a political force in this world, everything is removed and you can just do what you want under the role of diversity. I'm going to tell you, you cannot do everything that this world says you can do. There's something. I choose to live for God. I choose to not defile my body. I choose to not defile. 
I don't care what the psychologist says, the psychiatrist says, just be whatever you want to be. If you're not sure, just get take some hormonal drugs and be whatever be whatever's in your brain. So the serpent focuses on the negative and said, has God said, he's smart. See, I'm going to show to you in a few moments that the serpent's been here before. He understands this. And he realizes if I can get a third of the angelic realm to follow me, then maybe I can work on planet earth now. Has God said that you can eat of every tree of the garden? And Eve responded correctly. God has said that we can eat of every tree freely. There's only one tree that God's asking me not to eat of. Because the day that we partake of that, we shall surely die. Now, death was a reality that they had absolutely no reference point to death. They had no reference point. Also take note that when Noah preached that it was going to rain, the culture that he preached to had never seen rain before. They had no reference point for droplets of water falling out of the sky. You have to understand, preaching does not have to have a reference point in your life. There should be enough of you on the inside that said, if God said it, that settles it, I'm moving on. Come on, somebody. You can't just be anything the devil tells you to be. Why don't you become what God wants you to become? And the devil said, essentially, God's lying to you. In our day and age, they got theologians that will try to explain away that God doesn't mean what he says and says what he means. You actually need a degree to be able to say it at that level. And because Eve paused, I'm going to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, it's in that pause that the devil's gauging his knockout blow. When the devil tells you to just go out and experiment, even though you're married, nobody's going to find out about it. If you pause long enough, the devil says, I got, my, I got the next one already lined up. Something rise, needs to rise up, and you say, shut up, devil. Shut up, devil. If it contradicts that book, shut up, devil. I don't care if other people are in favor of it. Shut up, devil. Shut up, devil. Get thee behind me, devil. Get thee beneath my feet, devil, but just get out of my face, devil. Take your pick, devil, either behind me or under me, but get out of my face. Somebody needs to talk to the devil today and said, get out of my face. Come on, somebody, do it. Your pause. Is where he calculates his death blow.
For God knows that in the day that you eat, your eyes will be open to your limitations, and you will be just like God. And God doesn't want you to be just like him. And so God is trying to keep you from something that's good. And so Eve paused long enough that the devil saw the connecting of the dots and already knew where this was going. I know I'm presupposing this, but since I got the microphone, just listen closely. Eve probably thought, you know, we've walked around this garden, named all the animals. I'm kind of tired of just living in this garden. I know that God meets with us every morning, but you see, she would have never had those kind of thoughts had they been out taking dominion. But because they were not doing what they were supposed to be doing, they were reviewing the boredom of the garden and the limitations of the garden. You know, I've seen a lot of people, I've seen hundreds of people come through Cornerstone, and they love that excitement. They love to watch ex-drug addicts run the aisles as they now have newness of life. They, li they love to hear the stories of a marriage that was on the rocks, but God brought it together through the power of his word. They love to see people that used to be bound by, al by alcohol and all kinds of addictions, but now they're giving praise unto God, and they're clean and free and moving on. But I've watched a lot of people, if you don't get out and start doing the will of God for your life. You're going to get bored with that. You're going to get bored with just coming to church. You're going to get bored with just lifting your hands. I'm preaching right now. You're going to get bored watching other people. You're going to get bored watching other people love God. You're going to get bored watching other people get blessed. Somebody clap your hands and give God the praise. Had you been doing what God told you to do, Clap your hands and give him praise. And let's echo that name. Instead of, out, instead of being out there trying to find a boyfriend, why don't we get closer to God and find out where the real joy is, the real fulfillment, the real satisfaction. You know the story. The fruit was consumed. Their eyes were opened all right. But the glory is gone. And now the garden is gone. And now a world that was filled with potentiality and a weed that he'd never even seen in a garden is filled with weeds 
and misery and toil. Satan had a long time to put his methodology together. The book of Isaiah, chapter number 14, beginning in verse number 12. We talked about this two weeks ago. It's an absolute grammatical insertion by a Catholic theologian in the fourth century. The devil's name is not found in the Bible. I know that Jesus called him Satan, but that's like saying, hey, adversary. The devil has no name, which is one of the reasons why he doesn't want you to get baptized in the name. He's okay with titles, but he doesn't want you to take on a name. In fact, Jesus said in Revelation chapter number 3, if you make it all the way to the end, God's got a new name for you. But, but Satan's there. He ain't got no name. He is the loser of the universe. He is the lunar loser of, of planet Earth. But you, you guys need a punchline? You guys need more of a punchline than that? The devil ain't got a name, which is why he's against the name, which is why he doesn't want you to get baptized in the name. It's okay with you, you know, going to church and getting religious and buying a new suit of clothes, but don't flick your cigarette. No, I'm trying to preach to some of you. He's okay with you going to church and, you know, I'm not going to cuss anymore and I'm going to try to be a good person. And I, won't put the fi- I won't put my fist through the wall anymore. But when you go to flicking your cigarette and you walk away from the bar for the last time and you take that little black book with all those old phone numbers and you toss it in the dumpster, the devil says, we got a problem on our hands. It's time to go to work. It's time to do what we can because they may have a family member that needs to get pulled out. They may have a co-worker that's looking for reality. They may have a next-door neighbor that's headed to the divorce court. Somebody help me preach right now. you got to understand something. The devil doesn't go to work. Until you understand dominion. How art thou fallen? Ezekiel chapter 28 verses 12 through 15 says he fell from heaven to earth. Jesus said in the book of Luke that he saw Satan fall as lightning. It doesn't take God a lot of time to get rid of stuff he doesn't like anymore. Let's go to the next verse. For thou hast said in thine heart, this is what the devil said in his heart, I will ascend unto heaven. Now why? We know this because Ezekiel chapter number 28 that we're going to go to here in a few moments reveals that the devil was created perfect. He was perfect. Every precious stone. In fact, let's go there right now. Go to Ezekiel chapter number 28 first. Thou sayest the Lord thy God, thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Next verse. Thou hast been in Eden the garden of God, he's not talking to Adam and Eve, and he's not talking to the king of Tyrus. He's talking to the spiritual entity that's behind human governments. 
the sardius, the topaz, the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold, the workmanship of thy tablets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. He was musical. He had the sum total of wisdom. He was totally beautiful. Why would he make the statement? Go back to Isaiah chapter number 12, verse number 15. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will be like the most high. Keep going. He became bored. He became bored with being perfect. He became bored with being beautiful. He became bored with being the lead musician. You had Michael, the warrior angel, Gabriel, the messenger, archangel, and whatever Satan's name was, he was the worship. He was the director of the heavenly choir. He was the anointed cherub that covereth, which meant as the angelic realm came in to sing praises, that the anointed cherub that covered would cover the throne of God. No higher of a position. No closer to the throne. In terms of preeminence and perfection, nobody that close to God except a created being that now said, I'm tired with being perfect. I'm tired with my position. I'm tired with my authority. I want all authority. I want to be over the stars. I want to be over the throne of God. What folly. What error. What could cause an entity that was perfect and the full sum of wisdom to start a calculation in their minds? But the Bible says in the book of Ezekiel, in the day that iniquity was discovered in thee, which means iniquity is self-will, it's selfishness. It means you got I, 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 I've got a third of heaven, and, and whatever I say to do, they do, and I'm the anointed chair of the cupboard, and now I'm tired with playing second. He was bored with perfection. He got tired of paradise. And so when he started this conversation with Eve, he said, I know just how to frame this. Let's lift our hands. Those of you that have partaken of the tree, let's just ask God to forgive us for being ignorant and being unwilling to take a stand unwilling to use the Word of God. We've all done it, so we're not any better than anybody else, but this is a time for us to say, God, I'm on your side. God, I want your Word. I want your will. I want, I want your direction for my life. I don't want my direction. I want your direction. David, the great giant killer, the greatest king in the history of the nation of Israel. Such reverence. Such reverence and celebration over this young lad that in private 
killed a lion and a bear. Not out in public eye, but in private. He was on the back 40 where nobody was watching him but God. And God said, that's the one I'm looking for. I'm not looking for promoters. I'm not looking for pageantry. I'm not looking for self-promoters. I'm looking for somebody that can get the job done. And, 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 and David did the job, and David brought the giant down. you got to understand something about that giant. That giant was in southern Judah, which represented the advancement and the perimeter of that nation, which meant that they could not grow southerly. They could not push back their southern border until that giant went down. But when your giant comes down, you're going to be able to expand. There's people under the sound of my voice. You are bored with where you are. You are tired. You are plateaued out. And I'm not putting you down today. It's a common spiritual experience. But instead of getting online and and start listening to the devil... Why don't you say, the devil's coming down. The devil's coming out today. I'm going after the devil so so I can grow again, so I can expand again. Somebody shout with a voice of triumph. Incredible celebration with the boy king coming in on the shoulders of mighty men. As the young maids whirled about with their timbrels, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousand. That was God's promotion. That was God's advancement. You want advancement? Go out and bring something down. You don't get it. You don't. You don't get higher in God by stepping on other people's th- necks and talking about other people and trying to posture yourself. That's a spirit of the world, and I rebuke it out of the church of the living God. Not that I smell it, but I know it when I see it. And that's what people are sick and tired of when they go to churches are the cliques and the worldly, earthly promotion. Honey, if you get promoted in here, it's because in private you brought some giants down. You killed a bear and you killed a lion. David rose to the the absolute preeminence. Still to this day, he is regarded as being the greatest king in Israel's history. But David got to the place where he was tired of taking cities and tired of removing crowns and tired of killing the enemy. He said, you boys go out, I'm going to stay home tonight. And in his boredom, he got online and he didn't have far to look. Right next door was Uriah and Bathsheba, one of the mighty men of David. And in his boredom, he had eight wives. Lust, lust is never filled. 
in his boredom, tired of the accolades, tired of the pattern. When he walked into villages, people hit the dirt. The giant killer! He got bored in paradise. He spoke to one of the guards. He said, there's a woman all by herself next door. Won't you go get her? My God, man, you got seven wives. What's your problem? You could have any woman in the kingdom. What's your problem? Because he was bored. I realize this building's not packed out yet. You just make sure you're telling your visitor friends that you're going to hear from God when you come to this church. I'm not interested in finding out which way culture's blowing. I'm not interested in finding out which way the wind is blowing. I'm sent here with a word from God for somebody. The reason why you're in the misery and you are bored. Boredom has put chains on you. Boredom has put you in bondage. Boredom has brought you into a reduced stature. You know the story, David Forster, there was no woman married or otherwise that would resist this king. He was a hero. He was a household name. When David found out she was pregnant, he said, you know, the job's not done. Oh, yeah. The guys that are fighting... The guys that are out doing what I should be doing, I'll put them in battle. I'll make a lie and then act like we got rid of the evidence. That's exactly what David did. But when Joab and the mighty men placed that crown on David's head, there was no glee. There was no fulfillment. There was no sense of satisfaction. Ringing through the corridors of his heart was condemnation and shame. My flesh got me. My flesh got me again. Oh. David played the hicri- hic- hypocrite, excuse me, played the hypocrite for a year. Finally, God sent the prophet Nathan to David. 2 Samuel chapter number 12, verse number 7. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. Verse number 8. And I gave thee thy master's house, thy master's wives unto thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, you got to get this, if that, had not been enough. Why didn't she come to me? 
Why didn't you come to me and say, God, I need a door. I need a window. I need a new floor. I need a foundation to fall out. I need a touch from you. If it had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such and such because you're my man and such because you're after my heart and such because you love me and such. Let's lift our hands and let's pray for a minute. It's not lust that you really want. It's discipline you need and the depth of a closet prayer life that takes you to new dimensions of understanding and revelation. Let's just park here for a minute. Let's lift our hands and pray. We don't need more toys, more games, more this, more that. We need more God. I need, I need more so I can get this. I need more so I can have that. I, I need more so I can have that. Go to 1 Timothy 6 and 6. I need more so I can get that. I want more. I want this. I want toys. I want this. But godliness with contentment is great gain. If you're going to get anything, get more God. If you're going to get anything, get more spirit. If you're going to desire anything, get more of him. That is great gain. Clap your hands and give him praise. God has come to this place today to give somebody great gain but not through cunning. Not by being a dirt collector and finding out everybody's business and now being a broker of illicit information. That's not how you get promotion. But godliness with contentment. That when you're sitting in your living room after a hard day's work, Brother Daniel, you can feel good about yourself and feel good about your God and feel good about going to heaven and feel good that if I get down on my knees and pray right now, that God will answer my prayers because I know God and God knows me. When you gain and when you gain and you gain God's way, there is a byproduct that gives integrity, it gives strength, it gives insulation, it gives satisfaction. that I'm spending my life the right way. But the American dream has turned into American nightmare, teaching people that if you make enough money and get a good enough job, you can get life exactly how you want it. Let's go to Psalm 107. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness.
I don't know about y'all, but I couldn't wait to get here today, and it wasn't to preach. It was to lift my hands with this choir and then feel that ebb and flow of anointing that comes out of that pew and hits this platform and goes back into the spirit and begins to create a dynamic. So, oh, that men would praise the Lord. Come on, not complain. Not moan and groan. Not whine and bicker. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works to the children of men. Come on, let's praise him. Clap your hands. Lift your voice. Do something. Do something out of character. Do something that will make the devil mad. Do something that makes your flesh uncomfortable. Oh, that man would praise the Lord. Why? Why? Has he done anything? Yes. For he satisfies. You don't have to be seated unless you want to. For he satisfieth the longing soul. Week after week we come into this room and day after day we hear about church and month after month we go to this church. But God is here to do one thing and that is to bring satisfaction. Satisfaction guaranteed to bring contentment. To br- If you're... It's the will of God you got us. You go out of here shouting. It's the will of God you got to hear dancing. It's the will of God you got to hear with the victory. It's the will of God you got to. Somebody shout. Somebody praise him. Somebody give the Lord some praise. Oh, that man would praise the Lord. He hadn't done anything for me. Look at this. For he satisfieth the longing soul. The best thing that you can do for yourself is to anchor yourself to what you know is right in God and saying, devil, it doesn't matter what, you, what, what my eyes happen to see by accident and it's not whatever I hear by accident and whatever you put in my brain, I am not leaving. I am not to partaking of that fruit. I am not partaking of that tree. I need more of you. I want you. It's not games I need. It's God I need. Somebody! And filleth the hungry soul with goodness. Well, you know, I hope church is over in time. I got an online game, and I hope church is out on time because I got to get, I got to get home, and I got to see this, and I got to this. God knows all that, but if you have a longing soul today, you never have to be bored with this God. Because if you get to saying, God, I came here needing you. I came here wanting you. God says, I got something for you. Expectation is the threshold of the miraculous. Expectation is the threshold to an answer prayer. Expectation.
You know why people get bored with church? Because nothing's happening. I don't blame you for getting bored. I'd have been out of this thing a long time ago. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? A denominational church would have never held this guy. No, 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 no. Some of you don't understand. You don't, you, 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 you don't understand. A little celebrate recovery patty cake with Jesus would never do. I need something that's going to lift me off my feet and turn my world around and shatter the myth of religiosity. I need something that's greater than a drug trip. I need something greater than a one-night stand. I needed something. Clap your hands and give him praise. Somebody lift your voice. Somebody lift your hands. Somebody shout. Somebody give God great. Give him great praise. Keep praising. Musicians, come. Somebody shout. God don't want you leaving here empty. He wants you satisfied. from people that are unsatisfied. God does not get the right of testimony from people that walk out of here empty. God does not get the right type of airplay from people that come and go without any exhilaration, any excitement, any extreme highs, any giants coming down. So God says, I came to satisfy you if you want me. hand raised. Pastor, we got just enough money. We're doing quite well. If you'll read the next scripture, it says that people that are rich are pierced through with many sorrows and dangerous lusts because it wasn't a byproduct of blessing. It was a byproduct of the strength of the right hand. And there's nothing wrong with that if you've made God your partner. Come on, let's lift our hands and give God the praise. God, I need contentment. When I put my head down on a pillow, I don't want to be worried. I don't want to be afraid. I don't want to doubt. I don't want to have question marks. I want everything you got for me. Is there anybody that's hungry out there? Is there anybody that's longing out there? Is there anybody? church so let's just start talking about people we can't talk about God so let's just talk about people you're bored I love you but you're bored your focus is on the wrong things God ain't doing anything in our lives so let's just
get more things, get more stuff. God didn't send a pillow to Spokane. You want to get back to wanting more God, God's ready. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness. You know, I've seen hundreds of people over the last 27 years. They come in, they get baptized, they respond to the gospel. They're obedient to the gospel. They do the right thing. They don't give God a chance. See, God's ways take time. He said, I've got to have it now. I want it now, so I've got to have it now. That's exactly what our world has done. They've trained an entire culture that if you want it, you can have it, even if it's wrong. Even if it'll destroy you. You want it, you can have it. But God's ways... God is not going to have any of his children or customers be unsatisfied. My Bible tells me that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. In the Holy Ghost. In the Holy Ghost. Is there anybody that wants the Holy Ghost? Is there anybody that wants more Holy Ghost? Is there anybody that wants more of God? Is there anybody that wants more of the Spirit? Let's set our hands all over this building today. You know what? This altar's open. I don't have any more to preach. This is to the board. This is the people on the border line. That you're looking in all the wrong directions. Born in paradise. It's not another church you need. It's not another congregation you need. It's not a room of fresh faces you need. It's the power and the demonstration of an almighty God that we need. Come. If you're visiting with us, come. God's got more for you. God's got something fresh for you. God's got power for you. God's got a healing for you. God's got a deliverance for you. Come, come, come.